What's up, Goldbiters? In today's episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Tyler Cobble. This guy is all over YouTube, and he is a very savvy commercial real estate investor, owns over 2 million square feet in Nashville and Chattanooga, Tennessee. And in today's episode, we cover a wide array of topics. We start off by talking about the types of commercial real estate classes that Tyler is bullish on in 2024 and beyond. We then switch into the opportunities that Tyler is currently seeing in the boutique hotel sector and why he favors boutique hotel investing over investing in short-term rentals and Airbnb. And finally, for those investors who are just getting started in their real estate investing journey, he goes into the strategies that you can use to accelerate your growth in the real estate investing game. Lots of gold nuggets in this one for both savvy investors and newbie investors alike. So without further ado, everyone, let's welcome to the show, Tyler Cobble. Tyler, welcome to the gold mine. Danny, excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. You know, I, I've been, like I said earlier, I've been following you for some time now on, on YouTube. I respect the hustle that you're putting in there. And, you know, when I see a guy like you, obviously, like you, you didn't like instantly know, right, that you were going to be in real estate. So, what was that like aha moment for you? Like, what was that impetus that kind of got you started and and rowing in that in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I I dropped out of high, uh, out of college right after high school because uh, I got into into sales. So yeah. I did really well in sales that summer, made about thirty thousand dollars. And when I was sitting in my freshman year of college, taking courses I'd already taken before, uh, just started daydreaming about how much money I could be making if I wasn't in school anymore. So, yeah. you know, that number was about $120,000 a year. So once I realized that, I dropped out and I ended up getting a job offer from a boutique development firm here in town that I had, I had sold to in that previous job and uh, started off as the in-house leasing agent, working on filling up their vacancies in office retail and industrial assets that they owned. And two years into it, put together my first development deal and you know, four and a half years into it, left and started my own firm. So we've been off to the races ever since. That's awesome, man. Do you, and I don't know how often you get this question on podcasts. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I kind of unearthed some, some new unexplored territory here. Do you feel like your sales background has helped you in your investing journey? No, absolutely. It has. I mean, look, there's so many different paths into commercial real estate. I think that that's one of the beautiful things about it. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer, an accountant, an architect, a contractor, whatever, there's a way for you to get into real estate and in real estate development. But being in sales made it very easy for me because one, you know, starting off on the brokerage front, I went out and built relationships with investors, developers, business owners. I saw how the process was handled start to finish now, from mm-hmm. the leasing perspective, which is very beneficial as a real estate investor. You want to know exactly how you're going to fill these spaces, right? And having that background in sales, I had no problem going out and knocking on doors, talking to people, conveying the message that I wanted to convey. And so I think that's uh, critical to have. It's a skill set that really benefits you as a real estate investor in any capacity. Yeah, that's. Um, I feel the same way. And and given that you have that background, you also obviously had a, a peek into the acquisition side, right? Like how how could we go about like sourcing these deals? So why don't we why don't we talk about how you're currently sourcing deals and and what you did at the beginning to source them and have those methodologies evolved and changed over time? Yeah, so for the most part, it's still the same today. You know, I've got a brokerage team of five guys now that go out and they're knocking on doors and making cold calls and making those connections. So that's where a large amount of our deal flow comes from. 
is through those efforts, uh, which is what I used to do when I was a broker. And, you know, the, the only thing that's really changed is that, you know, since 2017, uh, when I really got into Instagram, I started getting some deals through that platform. And then in 2020, started the podcast and the YouTube channel. And now I get probably more deals through YouTube than anything else. Really? Uh, which has been uh, a very unexpected, but uh, nice, um, you know, outcome there. So it's, uh, it's just a lot of door knocking. And, you know, look, you can find good deals on LoopNet every now and then. I mean, everybody likes to talk trash about it, but there are good deals on there. Uh, occasionally, if you know how to look at things differently than what everybody else is looking at them for. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's no secret to it, right? Like that's the funny thing about sales in general and commercial real estate. There's no, you're not going to find some undiscovered method that somebody else hasn't already found. It's, it's, you know, blocking and tackling, making the phone calls, knocking on doors and building relationships. Yeah, it's, it, it is ultimately a contact sport and that makes sense. So you're primarily focused in, on investing like right in your backyard. Yeah. So you're, you're in Tennessee, correct me if I'm wrong. Right. And then you've also got the majority of your portfolio tied up into, um, or tied up in that, in that same area. So what advantages do you think? Because uh, there's some investors that kind of invest out of state and and all that, and myself included in that. So what advantages do you see to to owning uh, most of your, your assets uh, in your own backyard? And, and, or is that just a coincidence like that, that happened? Yeah. I mean, we operate a little bit differently than most. I mean, I wanted to build businesses around what we're doing, right? So I've got a commercial real estate brokerage, I've got a commercial property management company, and I've got a development firm. So my team is actively hands-on every deal that we do. If you're not planning on doing that, then yeah, go invest wherever you want. But there's a lot of synergy that we get from being able to, mm-hmm. to pass it off from one team to the next throughout the entire process. And, you know, I think on any given deal, we can make money in seven to 12 different ways. So I don't have to go do deal after deal after deal to just buy stuff to make money. We can continue to work on the same deal, put more effort into it and be likely more profitable. So it's a win-win for us and our investors. Now, you know, the, the majority of my assets are within a 10 minute radius of my office. And I've sold off a lot of the other stuff in Nashville that doesn't check that box. I just found that I didn't really want to go out of my way to drive past those assets, which meant that I'm probably not going to put as much effort into them as some of the other things that we own. So we ended up selling those pretty much anything in East Nashville and Madison, uh, which are both you know 10 to 15 minutes outside of downtown Nashville. Uh, we're, we'll keep those for the long term if we can. We own some assets in Chattanooga as well. I really like that market. Yeah. Um, and then I'm I'm a, a minority partner on a deal up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So you know, we will certainly go across the country, um, but that one's that one's a little bit unique. I'm more of a, an advisor to the general partnership on that deal. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Selfish question here because I'm looking at a portfolio in Memphis. It's in this. Are you familiar with the Memphis market at all? Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at a, a portfolio in the uh, in the Southwind area of Memphis. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I mean, look, I, I stay very far away from Memphis. Yeah. It's okay. uh, it's a really rough market. It's It's got, you know, there's been political corruption there for 40 years, which has ruined the city. Used to be way bigger and, and way more prosperous than Nashville, and that has completely reversed. 
Um, you know, I, I read a statistic, it's probably five years ago, so I don't know if it's still true today, but you know, Tennessee is in like the top 10 states in the, in the country in terms of crime. If you remove Memphis, it's in the bottom 10. So, you know, there's a oh, lot wow. of, uh, a lot of people that will come to you about Memphis. They'll say, oh yeah, but you could buy this at a 10, 15, 20% cap rate. Yeah. And it sounds good, but that you still have to go out and collect the rents. Right. Just because something mm-hmm. seems like it's a really good cap rate doesn't mean it's actually going to be a viable deal. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've tried to get in, into the Memphis market. We would probably consider it for industrial assets. They have a very good logistics hub there because of FedEx. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but anything on the residential front, the multifamily front, office, uh, and, and likely even most retail cases, we would stay away. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and by the way, you're not the first person that has echoed those same kind of like thoughts. So. I, I always like to hear from people that are in the in the thick of it. We had been kind of going back and forth on that thing for a while, and we actually pulled out recently. But now the opportunity to go back in has kind of come up. But uh, I appreciate the insight; I really do. Um, yeah, it can be tempting because the prices are so low. But you, you know, if you're going to do it, just make sure that you bake in the risk into the purchase price on the front mm-hmm. end. Yeah, no, it makes makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense, and I imagine that. You know, on the hotel side of things too, a lot, a, one of the things that we always think about is like, hey, how, um, what is the 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 candidate pool? What is the like? What is the the employee pool here in this area? And then, you know, can we find good employees in this area and 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 rely on them? And so it, it is it is one of those things where you're like kind of like judging each market based off of certain things. You're not just looking at it on the hotel side from like, hey, like, is this just is cash flow good like is are, are we getting uh, like is it a good asset it's also like hey can we fill the business side of it you know and uh and that that that's it's hard you know it really is um because every market presents its own challenges um so it's it's interesting anyway switching gears you talk a lot about i know that you're like invested in boutique hotels which i definitely want to talk about uh but i also know that you recently you've talked a lot about flex space and and the fact that you're super bullish on it so what is it about FlexSpace that has you bullish on it for uh, for 2024 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been bullish on FlexSpace for five plus years. I mean, you know, even back when I was a broker, I was telling developers, I mean, if you can build any sort of FlexSpace, you're going to fill it up yeah. probably before we even deliver it. And, you know, there, there's, there's many reasons for that. I mean, one, you know, a lot of industrial developers have not been building that over the last 10 years. They've been building distribution and warehousing. And, you know, that's with the rise of e-commerce. So of course, you know, you could build a 10,000 square foot warehouse, or you could build a 100,000 square feet. Which one are you going to do if there's a tenant signed up? You're going to go with the 100,000 feet. The other thing is a lot of flex spaces has historically been located adjacent to the urban core. So mm-hmm. think downtown areas that, you know, aren't really as nice. And now that we have this, you know, urban revitalization, a lot of people are moving into the downtown areas. And so, there is going to be a higher and better use for that existing flex space. Why have a 10,000 square foot, you know, single story flex building when you could do 20 stories of multifamily? So a lot of it's getting torn down, but a lot of these professional services businesses still need space. They still have to go somewhere. So there's a lot of demand and not a lot of inventory. And that is a very good recipe for a strong investment. For anyone who's sitting at home right now and is wondering, what the heck is flex space? Can you elaborate or define what flex space means? Yeah, it's just a smaller warehouse space with some office in it, right? So you may have 10 to 20% of the space being office and the rest being warehouse. 
Typically, they've got 14 to 16 foot ceilings in the warehouse uh, with, you know, some row up doors. You could drive trucks into it or unload and uh, load up, you know, uh, packaged goods or, you know, st- you know some sort of materials. Uh, so think, you know, the local plumber, right, Who's, right? Who may have a secretary in the office. They need a place to, you know, ship and receive. And then they've got a bunch of storage, right, for all of their supplies. But it could also... You know, you could also lease to pickleball courts. You could lease to podcast studios. It could go to some sort of startup. I mean, there's so many uses for this space. That's why it's called mm-hmm. flex space, flexible space. Yeah, it makes makes sense. And actually, like a lot of the um, a lot of the CrossFit gyms that I go to are technically uh, flex space. Flex space, got the high yeah. high ceilings and everything. So that's awesome. What um what trends aside from flex space? Tyler, what, what trends are you seeing in, in the commercial real estate sector right now, like heading into 2024? And what what has you like excited? Yeah, I mean, this is nothing new, but I love micro units. doesn't matter if it's micro apartments, micro retail, micro office. You know, those are all doing really well right now. I mean, we did a micro office deal in 2020, delivered it two months before the pandemic hit, and we signed 17 leases uh, through August and sold it in October despite everybody saying office was dead. It's just not. It, it depends on what office sector you're in. We converted a six-bay car wash into five micro restaurants at a bar. I had six leases signed two weeks after announcing it. We hadn't even started on the project yet. So that's very popular. I like industrial outdoor storage. You know, Self-storage has been a big craze over the last couple of years. In my opinion, it's getting a little overheated and prices don't make sense. And Industrial outdoor storage is essentially a covered land play. You buy the land, you put a fence around it, you put some lights and security cameras up and a gate, and you rent out parking spaces. You know, I mean, <laughs> that that's about as easy as it gets. I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now, 28,000 square foot, three-story building. We've got more parking uh, on this site than we actually need. So I just rented 17 spaces to a vehicle rental company. They're all Teslas, really nice. Now I'm getting paid, you know, $100 a spot. Um, to park that here. So uh, it's very easy. And, you know, typically with those, you want to buy the path of growth and likely in industrial areas because you'll, you'll easily pick up some tennis for that. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm staying away from multifamily. I haven't uh, enjoyed that market for the last five years. I don't understand why yeah. people are paying the cap rates that they're paying. doesn't make a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Um, I'd be buying up hotels right now if you could get the financing. It's really, really tough today. But there are very good market dynamics for hotels, especially in areas like Nashville, Austin, Raleigh, Charlotte, Denver, markets like that where people want to go. Um, and then, of course, always your neighborhood commercial space, right? It doesn't matter if it's office, retail, whatever. Anything that's situated within a neighborhood that's smaller, maybe it's a three tennis strip center, you know, those those will always do strong because they're in the uh the neighborhoods with, with within which these people live, so mm-hmm. it's all the conveniences that people want to stop in and use. That's actually a really uh, interesting insight. I hadn't really thought about like there's like they're so off the radar, right? Like everyone thinks like uh, retail center. They think like these like big mass like hotel like all these things. But like yeah, what about like the like the the mini mart and like the dry cleaners and the whatever, right? And it's this little thing. That's interesting that you say that that um that those are good and and when you say that too like you're 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 talking about specifically um buying those and then renting or like leasing out those those spaces correct that that's what you're referring to 
That's right. I mean, you know, everybody has this perception that commercial real estate has to be something really big. I mean, you know, my, my main office, I mean, this is our studio, but my main office is 1200 square feet. It's a standalone building right on a corner in East Nashville. Right. I've got a building down the street that's 2200 square feet, single tenant retail building. You know, I love little projects like that. You can get them for under a million dollars. And you can still get all of the benefits of commercial real estate. So you can sign a five-year lease with a tenant or a 10-year lease yeah. and you know put it on a triple net basis and not have to worry about finding the next tenant for a while. You mentioned hotels as one of the, you know, assuming you can secure the financing, which by the way, I would agree that that is definitely difficult in, in, in today's market. But l- let's explore that because I know that you've, you've broken into the like boutique hotel sector. What are the opportunities that you see right now in the space? Let's elaborate on that a little bit further. I mean, I think just, you know, unique boutique hotel experiences. I don't think that flagged hotels are really the way to go. Even the the major corporations are trying to figure out how to make their hotels more boutique. So, you know, Marriott mm-hmm. and Hilton and some of these other brands are coming out with more of the boutique style hotels or acquiring other ones. But, uh, you know, I mean, like in Nashville, for for instance, the the boutique hotels that are here, they're all vertical, right? They're all in, you know, five, six story plus towers. And they're closer to downtown. So our boutique hotel is sits on two and a half acres, eight minutes outside of downtown Nashville. And all the units are walk-up units. So it's a very different experience. We're really leaning into the amount of land. And we want to create a, a true Nashville experience. A lot of these hotels, you know, to me, don't make sense. I mean, they they try and say that they're Nashville by putting a picture of Dolly on the wall and slapping up a guitar and saying, you know, welcome to Nashville. And, you know, yeah, that's a part of Nashville. But I grew up yeah. here, and that's not 100% of what the city is. So we're really mm-hmm. trying to meld like a Palm Springs meets Southern Hospitality vibe with that boutique hotel. And you know, there's a lot of really cool things that you can do with those. Just create a unique experience that that people want to you know stay at and um, get really good at marketing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And by the way, like that's always been my overall investment thesis with hotels is. I think in the, in the long term, the hotels that are really going to win out are the ones that can provide that unique experience to the to the uh, to the guests because you know the the novelty is is what really drives uh, the uh, the response. In my opinion, sounds like you share the same opinion, which is great. It's it's cool to hear someone else like sharing that same sentiment. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think that there's going to be a, like there's going to be a, a time and place for like your branded hotels and. And, um, and I would say that right now, like over the next 12, 24 months, like it's a great time to buy, uh, branded stuff from institutional investors at a discount, you know, and there's, there's lots of opportunities to do that right now. And, uh, and that's definitely like what I'm focused on for the next 12, 24 months. But I think the opportunity in the boutique sector isn't going away anytime soon. I think that this is like a decade long opportunity, truly, because the, the average, I don't know, Tyler, if you know the exact statistic, like I saw this online the other day. So I don't know if you have like, if you have any insight on this, but there's a a large amount of the boutique hotels, like, and by boutique, everyone we're talking about, like non-branded hotels in the United States, something like 60, 70 or like something just like 60, 70% are owned by baby boomers over the age of like 65 or something like that. And so like, these, they're all, these are all people that are coming into retirement and they're, uh, and they're looking to exit. Right. And, uh, and so I think that there's a lot of opportunity in that sector, like over the next decade, um, to pick up these properties and, and even, you know, maybe do a little bit of seller financing. How did you finance that hotel, Tyler? Did you, did you get creative with it or did you, did you, uh, get a traditional loan? Just uh, curious on how no, you did we, that. 
we didn't get creative with it. We just paid cash for the land and we got a construction loan nice. on it, which was the easiest thing for us to do. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, look, Airbnb has changed the way that people want to travel, but now a mm-hmm. lot of Airbnbs, there, there's too many of them. They all look the yep. exact same and they all have a crazy amount of hidden fees to them that nobody wants to pay. And, you know, boutique hotels are a great alternative option to that. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with a buddy yesterday or two days ago talking about his Airbnb that he has in Florida and, yeah. you know, wondering what he could be doing to to brand it or, you know, to increase occupancy. I was like, man, you got you to gotta come up with a brand for it. Even if it's a, just a four bedroom Airbnb, you've got to come up with some sort of brand, lean into a theme, figure out who your target demographic is and cater as much as you can to them. Everybody yeah. else that's not necessarily your target demographic might still book there, but you're going to capture more of the market that is ideal, the ideal consumer for you. And, you know, I went to a, uh, a presentation a few years back. It was one of the original guys at Airbnb who was the, the hotelier that was there. And, you know, he was talking about how when he would do boutique hotels in California, he would go pick a magazine. And he would base his target demographic off the target demographic of that magazine. So he did a, a surf hotel in California and and got a surf magazine and just flipped through it and was like, okay, what are all the things that this you know target demographic likes? What do they consume? How do they think? Because those magazines, they already have a lot of that demographic information and they're trying mm-hmm. to cater exactly to that market. So I just thought that that way was, it was such a brilliant <laughs> approach uh, to figuring out who your target demographic is. Um so don't reinvent the wheel. You know, somebody else is already out there doing it. Just figure out how you can kind of ride that wave. Is that uh, Chip Conley? The guy that yep, you're- Yeah, uh, Chip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really awesome, uh, inspiring story. For anyone that wants to get into hotels, you should you should Google that guy. Um, really cool story. Yeah, interesting. So, and by the way, like the Airbnb, I, I actually want to explore that a little bit further. There seems to be like Airbnb fatigue, right? Um, for, for lack of a better word. And I do agree with you that, you know, boutique hotels kind of offer the best of both worlds. It is the the novelty or the experience that you can get in Air, Airbnb, but with the reliability and the service, right, and, uh, of and the lack of hidden fees in, in hotels, right? So that it's really like the, a marriage of the best of both worlds. Prior to this hotel, Tyler, what kind of, ex- did you have any sort of like, did you have other hotels or was this like the first one that you, that you opened? And uh, so we'll uh, just start there. No, this is the first one that we're going to open. So we're, we we yep. haven't finished construction yet. We should be starting that in Q1. Nice. Okay, cool. By the way, next time I'm in Nashville, I will uh, hit you up because I would love to stay there. Um, For sure. But it's, um, so to piggyback off of that, the natural question that comes to my mind is awesome, like, how how are you going to fill the hotel? Like, what are you going to do? Like, what what are you doing to get heads and beds? A, B, the back you know the back end system because a lot of a lot of these guys the reason that they go with the brands is because they already provide you with the operating system right and and a lot of the brand loyalty and so it's almost like a plug and play kind of situation. So I'm curious as to like what your strategy is around that, uh, both on the the marketing side of things and then like the the back end operating system side of things. Yeah, I mean, we're handling all the branding and a lot of the marketing ourselves. Sure. So, I mean, it's easy stuff, right? I mean, that's basically what I do for a living already. So, it's it's going to be a lot of you know videos, photos, uh, getting it, you know, articles written about it, those kinds of fun things, influencer marketing, of course. 
Uh, but then on the on the other side, I mean, we we retained a a third party property management company, um, hotel boutique hotel manager. They they manage about I don't but know it, close to eighty or ninety boutique hotels across the country, and so they've already got all the back end systems. I mean, I, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel starting out on my first hotel, yeah. and uh, I mean, you're you're right. It's a big concern moving into that. So we'll have it on Airbnb. We'll have it on all of the hotel websites. We'll have our own website. And then we're going to start pushing once guests stay with us, get them into our ecosystem to have them start booking direct. Okay. I see. That's awesome. And how many, uh, how many rooms? 48. Nice. Nice. That's dude. That sounds awesome, dude. Like I'm, I'm like ground up boutique hotel. That's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's, so. well, it's actually a, a complete gut renovation. It's an old roadside motel. The motel buildings were built in the 50s and 60s, but there's an historic building directly in the middle. It was built in 1856, yep. and uh, it was actually used as a hospital during the Civil War. So we're going to turn that into kind of our bar, lounge, you know, retail hangout area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have a pool outside and then uh, just renovating all the rooms in place. That's awesome, man. That's super cool. Yeah, I can't wait to come check it out. Um, I actually haven't been to Nashville in a while, but I'd love to get out there because it's, uh, I mean, it's Nashville, dude. Come on. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's fun so town, man. Much fun. It's so much fun. So go, I want to go back actually to the multifamily thing because I, I've, you're not the first person that I've talked to, first investor that I've talked to that's gotten a little bit of like that multifamily uh, fatigue, if you will. Like, did you ever invest in multifamily or like, was that something that you like never really touched? No, I mean, we built some ground up multifamily at the development firm that I was with before I left. Uh, we did a yeah. 144 unit apartment complex down in Brentwood, but no, it's, it's not something I've ever really been all that interested in. I mean, coming from a yeah. brokerage perspective, I, I don't understand how the deals work. I, I mean, it, not that I don't understand the actual mechanics of how you can make money on multifamily. I just don't see how they make money today. Um, you know, if you look at multifamily over the last 10 years, the the model has been buy it, rehab it, raise rents, flip it to the next guy. And we're three to four cycles into that, right? So every unit has been upgraded multiple times. The buildings have been upgraded multiple times. Rents have been pushed to kind of where they can go. People are trying to squeeze yield with, with the lowest cap rates you've seen in multifamily and there's no value to be added. So I have no interest in buying a 4% cap rate property and just sitting there and collecting you know whatever the difference between that and my debt is, which is probably going to be yeah. negative. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, it they they don't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean I, I agree. It's uh it's really, like some of these deals that I'm and by the way, like I'm in California and you know, being in Nashville now, I'm sure that the the cap rate compression is is pretty serious over there as well. But like, when you look at the cap rates here, I'm like, oh my god, like, what is going on? Like, how how does anyone like buy something at a two cap? Like, that doesn't like what are you uh, doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it makes it makes no sense, man. I mean, I remember I was at a mastermind probably back in 2017, give or take. Yeah, and ran into some guys that invest in multifamily in LA, and they were like, even back then, they were buying things on a two percent cap rate, and I I didn't Crazy. understand how they made it work. I mean, it's yeah. a, uh, you know, they get in there, they they try and raise rents a little bit and hope the cap rates hold and then they flip it in a few years. It makes no sense. Well, the cap rates barely made sense before, but now with the debt market where it is right now, it's just like, they don't like now, it's just like you're upside, like you're, you're bleeding money every single month 
So how, like, how are you overcoming that? Like, how are you, you know, overcome like the, the current challenges that the, the debt market's presenting? We're just not buying. I mean, we have a specific yield that we have to get on every deal that we do. And if yep. I can't get that yield, I'm not buying it. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it's, it's, it's not worth it. Right. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of risk. There's a lot of debt and yep. I have to answer to my investors. And at the end of the mm-hmm. day, I'm not, I'm not going to get out of bed to go to work for six to 8% returns. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my investors might as well just invest in the stock market. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're aiming for 18 to 22% IRRs with about a 20% annualized cash on cash. And, and if I can't hit that, I'd rather just keep, you know, let everybody keep their cash and we'll wait until prices come down or debt comes down, either one, and or just wait for the right deal. You know, something will pop up and uh, we'll we'll jump on it. But I mean, right now, you know, next year we're looking at industrial. I mean, probably ground up flex. We can hit those returns there. Uh, doing some single family residential construction. You know, it's it's not nearly as sexy as commercial real estate. But I mean, I've built out a model to where we can make a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in profit per house. So why wouldn't we do that? You know? Yeah, that makes uh, that makes sense. So let, let's talk about those return those returns that you're talking about before. Eighteen to twenty two percent IRR. Are you factoring in exit into that? And um, so, are you factoring in exit into that? And how long are your typical hold times? Because you did mention like, hey, these there are some markets where we're going to hold forever. So I'm assuming that there's some sort of like return of capital at some point as well. So what does that structure typically look like for you? And I know that every deal is different, right? But like generally. Yeah. I mean, our, our target's five years. Uh, yeah. Pretty, okay. pretty average target. You know, we've had a couple of deals that we've sold that were under two years, but that's, that's very rare. It's not our plan. Um. You know, five years is pretty good. Some of these could get pushed to seven, but in five years, either we're selling or I'm going to refinance and buy everybody out. It just depends on the asset. <laughs> Some investors want to stay and, you know, roll the dice with me for as long as I want to. And then some investors prefer to get that velocity of capital. They want their cash back so they can go put it into another deal and keep it rolling. Um, so it, it just depends on the deal. What are you, because you've done like quite a few ground up developments for the ones that you're coming into the asset and it's you're either doing some sort of like value add repositioning like whatever what strategies are you typically using to force that appreciation and, and get those uh you know get those rents up like what what strategies have you used in the past to to, to add value to your to your properties yeah i mean the easiest thing is to just renovate it and fill it up with tenants right because then you're going from buying on a price per square foot basis to selling on a cap rate basis so, you know, for example, that micro office unit deal that we did, um, I bought it on a per square foot basis. We paid $81 a square foot. It was $980,000. We put about $230,000 into it. So let's call it 1.2 million total. Signed 17 leases and we sold it for a million six fifty in 16 months. So not a massive return, but a pretty good return pretty quick. Uh, uh-huh. And that's, that's the power of forcing appreciation through signing good leases. Yeah, that, um, yeah, because at that point, right, it's just a plug and play. You did all the hard work, right? And then now someone's just coming in there and, and recognizing the, uh, the, 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 the cash flow. So, Tyler, your, your YouTube channel, switching gears here a little bit, is awesome. And there's some, like, there's Thank a you. lot of, yeah, there's a, of course, man, like, um, you've built it. I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, there's a, there's a few of us on YouTube and everything, but like you, you, you're stood out to me 
for a couple of reasons. Number one, I could tell that like you do do it, you do invest either you or your team invest a lot of time into like the science aspect of it. So like, I know that you guys are like working hard to really do like leverage the, the algorithm part of it to, to get your content out. But the question always comes up for me is like, Hey, like why, like why do the content, right? Like what, what is the end goal? And it sounds like you're getting deal flow from it, which was kind of like an unexpected, right. Um, a return on that on that investment but like i'm also curious like what what inspired you to create it in the first place yeah so great question i mean there's a couple different reasons one when i was first getting started in commercial real estate back in 2013 there were very few resources there were a few books that i was able to find on amazon there were two podcasts one which had you know stopped recording so i ran through those episodes quick and zero YouTube videos, right? And then, you know, also starting out, I mean, I was at a boutique development firm as a broker. Nobody else at any of the other brokerage firms wanted to take me under their wing, right? Because I'm just competition and I'm not working right. for them. So, you know, I had to grind it out and learn everything. And so I always thought, you know, man, it'd be so nice, you know, as soon as I know anything to start, you know, teaching other people how to do this. So around 2016, 2017, I started teaching at the Real Estate Investors of Nashville you know, and hosting these events on on how to invest in commercial real estate. Started blogging a lot and and you know, kind of teaching people how to do it. Really picked that up during the pandemic because I went from having, you know, 99% of my time out of office to a hundred percent of time in office by myself with no deals going on. So I was writing, you know, three to five blogs a week on how to invest in commercial real estate. And that started taking off. The traffic to my website skyrocketed. And then I started thinking to myself, I mean, these are basically scripts for YouTube videos. So nobody else is doing it on YouTube. Let's just go do that. And that's kind of how we got started, Um, you know, during the pandemic with nothing else to do. And, you know, here we are, I mean, over 400 videos later, we're by far the most, uh, I guess we have the most videos out there on YouTube. I'm not the biggest commercial real estate channel. We're close. The other guy's like 10, he's been on for 10 years, a lot longer than I have. Um, so, I mean, it's fun. I, I just, I enjoy teaching it. You know, I'm talking to Vanderbilt right now about coming and teaching a course on commercial real estate with them, which is pretty exciting. But, um, yeah, it was more to just start kind of sharing the knowledge with other people that were trying to get started just like I had. And then it became, you know, oh, hey, we're, we're getting some calls. You know, people want to invest with me. People want to use our brokerage, um, to, to help them buy commercial real estate and, you know, we did a bunch of stuff on triple net investing. Well, that opened us up to, you know, handling transactions across the country. So we weren't limited to Nashville anymore. Good. And, uh, and also like selfishly, it is the best way to learn. I mean, you know, this having your own podcast, if you want to learn something, get some big name on your show that, uh, you know, you want to learn from. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. get to just ask them whatever questions you want. And so, you know, I started thinking like, what else can I do? Well, we started an investors roundtable uh, live stream on YouTube that we do every two weeks. So I brought in three, you know, badass real estate investors that yeah. I just wanted to spend an hour with every couple of weeks and ask questions. I was like, well, we should just record that, send it out there. Did the same thing with brokers. I've got three brokers from across the the, the across North America. Really, two of them are in Canada. Then we just trade, you know, war stories and secrets. It's it's a lot of fun. So it's, uh, it's a great way to learn. Yeah. I mean, like, especially on that last part, it's, it's interesting because when you, um, 
I mean, and obviously you've grown and led an organization now. So what I, what I told my, my agents when I was growing and, and, uh, and leading my, my, my real estate team, you know, from just myself to like 35 agents, I, I realized like in that growth, when I was teaching all of my agents, like that's when I learned the most, you know, and, and being able to teach it reinforces that knowledge. So man, that is a gold nugget right there, man. Um, that is, that is clutch. And I think for anyone that's, you know, asking themselves, well, like I don't really have enough experience or anything to like, you know, start my channel or whatever. Like you're never going to, it's never going to be enough experience just like FYI, right? Cause there's always going to be someone on YouTube that has more than you. Um, so I think the point is to, to, uh, just get it out there and, uh, and eventually the, the content will take, take its own form over time. But well, it's awesome. That man. and that and, you know, you have your own unique view. You have your own unique way mm-hmm. of talking about things. You know, I mean, I I am not a fan at all of build to rent communities and, you know, big firms like BlackRock and these other groups, hedge funds, private equity firms going out and buying up hundreds, if not thousands of single family homes. I talk about that all the time on my podcast and a lot of people resonate with that. So, you know, you have your own unique perspective that you can share and people will gravitate to it. So don't be afraid to share that. 100%. On that same topic, you know, someone who's like getting into, maybe not YouTube, but just like real estate investing in general, like we're both fair, like we're still fairly young, dude. Like I I see when you, I like assuming that you graduated uh, or like we're in school, we're in school around the same time. So like we're like early thirties. Yeah. So yeah, we're still kind of. Yeah. So yeah, 32. So we're, yeah, you look at the, this new wave of, of kid. I don't know how these kids do it, by the way. Like I get 18 year olds sometimes coming to me and I'm like, dude, like, how do you, like, what are you saying right now? Like you're talking at such a high level for someone who's new and they're watching this video and they're like a teen or like early twenties and they don't have that experience necessarily. What, what advice would you give someone who wants to uh, kind of break break into the, the the commercial real estate investing game. I mean, find a, an investor or developer that's doing exactly what you want to do, and find a way to go work for them for free. Mm-hmm. Be the guy that brings them coffee, you know, whatever it takes, and and just be in that environment and learn from them. You know, I mean, I, I was I was fortunate enough to have a sales background, so it was a very easy shoe in for me to go into commercial real estate brokerage. But because I was doing that at a boutique development firm, I got to sit in on all the development meetings every week and learn how they put those deals together. And I don't know that I would be where I am today without that. It's it was very valuable. And, you know, when I first got started too, I mean, I was I was waiting tables on weekends and working in construction, <laughs> you know, doing anything I could to make money because you don't make money your first few years in brokerage. It's it just doesn't happen. And uh I made it work. And so I right. think that, yeah, that's the best advice I could give is just find somebody and go shadow them as much as you possibly can. Because there's just a lot of industry knowledge. There's a steep learning curve that you've got to overcome right. before you can really be effective and and start wanting to, um, you know, partner up with people or, you know, get paid to work with them. And it's, and it's tough in this industry because the training is so intense. It takes a lot of somebody's time and we're all running a hundred miles an hour. So it's, it's really tough to slow down and, you know, bring an 18 year old in and train them up on everything that you need them to do and just kind of let them run off and do their own thing. Right. So make it easy, make it easy on the person you want to go work with. Yeah. That's uh so true. And by the way, like sometimes those things end up 
manifesting and or like turning into something way more than just uh, that. I had a girl that came to me, kind of similar situation. She was like, hey, I want to work for you. Like in turn, it's my summer and I have nothing better. To, like I want to just like be around. And then eventually like she went back to school, but we kept her on as like a part-time uh, marketing contractor. Like she was, she was awesome. You know, like it was, it was like a really, um, it was a really awesome thing. But like it started with her just like hitting me up and being like, hey, can I just like, whatever you like, what do you need me to do? Right. And I was like, oh, well, I'd talk to so-and-so and I'll tell you. And then she quickly became super valuable. So what, um, yeah, what, I mean, it's, what it's all about the relationships. It's yeah. all about relationships. I mean, you know, guys that I was, I was, you know, trying to kick down their door to just get four lease listings from, you know, five years ago are now partners with me on development deals. And it's because I, I came in, built the relationship, proved that I knew what I was doing, that I brought value to the table and, and over time learned more from them. And, you know, in some cases I, I know more about different aspects of the business than they do. So they, there's a valuable partnership there to be had with them. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see kind of, you know, where it's, it's come from, but that was over five years, right? I mean, I feel like a lot of people today think that they're just going to get into this and they're going to immediately be worth 50% of a deal without bringing any money mm-hmm. to the table or no experience or, or you know, mm-hmm. any relationships. And I mean, I had, I got 10% equity in my first deal. I did all the work. I went out and found it, put it under contract, pitched it to the, you know, my partner, but he put up all the money. He signed on the debt and he said, you're going to run this project. And that's all I did for the next two years. I didn't make any money out of it, but I got 10% and it was the best experience I ever had. And I would do those kinds of deals all day. Yeah. 100%. That's, um, that's what, what you just said right now is like, everyone should be taking notes because if you're, if you're looking to break into it, like, Hey, you find the deal, you will get a piece of it. Right. Uh, how much of it kind of depends on what you just said too. It's like how much, what, what kind of capital do you have and, and, uh, and what relationships do you have and experience, but 10% on a first deal is, is not bad. You know, what few, like, what, what, what are you seeing right now? Like future of commercial real estate, Tyler, I know that we kind of talked about it, but like, what trends do you foresee kind of coming up in like the next five years? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, debt's uh, the biggest question mark right now. We don't know where it's going to go. It seems like this week it's falling, but you know, next week it could go back up. Who knows? So mm-hmm. it's it's all a factor of debt, and because at the end of the day, it's a it's a you know debt cap rate arbitrage is really what commercial real estate is. So I think it depends on how the markets go. But look, commercial real estate's been around for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. It's always done well. It'll continue to do well. I don't really care what kind of technological innovations come forward there's always going to be a need for some sort of commercial space. So just make sure that you're buying in a good area and you're catering to strong credit tenants. Uh, I think that it doesn't matter which asset class you're at. I'm still, I wouldn't say I'm quite bullish on office space right now, but I'm not bearish by any means. I mean, I think that office space is going to do just fine. It's just changing and evolving. Everything else has changed. Look at how industrial has changed over the last 10 years. Look at how retail has changed over the last 10 years multifamily. I mean, look at all the amenities and the way that people are approaching those developments. Office yep. hasn't changed since 1980. It needs to. It's got to update and come, you know, modernize for the way that we work today. That's all that's happening. I uh, could not agree more. And just to piggyback on that thought uh, on the on the dev market side, I think it's really important because there is like, there is no crystal ball that's telling us that we will for sure see lower rates in like the next five years. I mean, I think we'd all like 
see that, but like, there's no guarantee. And so anyone that's like factoring in like a refinance in year three, year four, year five, because rates are going to magically come down and like that, your underwriting kind of depends on that or, or the, the, the exit that you're, that you're planning for is relying on that. Like that's a bad strategy. It's a really bad strategy because we don't know. 100% it is. Yeah. It's a really bad strategy. I mean, hope, hope is not an investment strategy. (laughs) So that's a good one, man. That's a good one. I, I, I take me, take you backing off of that one. One of my uh, really good friends, Alana, had her on a podcast a while ago. Uh, she has a she has another great one. She's got it's called real estate investing, not real estate promises. You know, so same <laughs> same kind exactly. of like uh, yeah yeah. Hope is not a, an investing strategy. I love it, man. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so before we we wrap up here. If the, you know, because I know that you've got some, some, some programs that you're, that you're uh, currently uh, working on or for, for people that want to get into the space. So if, if people want to get in touch with you, want to know more about uh, how they could potentially work with you, where could they find you online? Yeah. Just look me up on Instagram, Tyler Gobble. It's, it's at commercial in Nashville, but it should pop up if you just search my name. Um, you know, if you want to get a bunch of free education on commercial real estate, go to YouTube. It's also at Tyler Cobble. And if you want to check out the courses, we've got uh, a crash course on investing for beginners. I've got the complete guide to investing in commercial real estate, which is a really in-depth course, some one-on-one coaching. And we're looking at kind of building out a commercial real estate academy and doing a whole bunch of courses. So those will be coming out soon. Uh, you can find those at tylercobble.com slash course. That's awesome, man. And all of those links, by the way, will be in the podcast description below. So uh, go check those out, everyone, and and uh, and give Tyler a, shoot Tyler a follow. Well, Tyler... I want to thank you for your time, man. This has been awesome. Uh, some really cool synergy here. I'm, I'm looking forward to going out to Nashville and, and hopefully meeting you in person here pretty soon. But in typical goldmine fashion, let's leave the the uh, the listeners today with one final gold nugget. Uh, just get out there and do it. There's no magic <laughs> to it. I love that, man. Just do it. Just do it. All right. That's it. I feel like that's like a Nike like swoosh. Yeah. yeah. But, Drop, drop the swoosh in there. <laughs> Just do it, baby. Hey, Tyler, man, thank you so much for your time. And and it was great having you on. Lots of knowledge dropped on this one. So uh, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate you having me on, man. All right, man.